0: There's no music if you have no body to play it with, so take care of your body first. You getting into the gym and you lifting weights and working on muscles, is this, it's physical therapy for the benefit of your playing.
1: The truth is nothing works like just taking care of the simple stuff, diet, exercise, and sleep. Take care of that and you'll be fine.
0: Join us as two musicians and fitness coaches discuss strength, wellness, and fitness in relation to musicians, artists, and performance. Hello and welcome back to the Tuned and Strong podcast. This is Dr. Jen Cabas-May of Tuned and Toned Performance.
2: And this over here is Angela McHouston of Music Strong.
0: (laughs) And today we are joined by a very special guest, Francesca Leo. Francesca, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Outstanding. So for those of you who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what your business is and your journey, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm primarily a flutist. I've gotten two degrees in music performance. Um, so during my undergraduate degree, I suffered a pretty severe performance-related injury, um, Had was first diagnosed with tendinitis in my forearms, and then it later had spread to my left shoulder, um, which has since turned into tendinosis. Um, so I first experienced pain from playing my flute when I was 16 years old. So it's been about... 10 years that I've been dealing with it on and off, which is a really long time (laughs) Mm -hmm. at the time that I was experiencing it. Um, I didn't really know that it was a thing that you could get injured from playing an instrument because I had just heard, never heard anyone talking about it. So I kind of was a little bit ashamed about it at first. I did bring it up to, you know, my doctor, um, who gave me the first diagnosis of tendonitis. Um, but then I, my only option at that point was um I was told that I can either stop playing or just take um ibuprofen when it hurts, which um I look back on that advice and it 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 makes me sad <laughs>
0: to this. Yeah, day. As it should. Yeah.
1: So um I kind of just like kept playing. I really wanted to major in music. So I just kept playing through the pain because I just at that point didn't know any other option um and wasn't ready to um, make the changes that I really needed to, to, um, heal my body because I was worried that it would set me back, um, with auditions and things. And so, um, when I entered college and undergrad, my pain started getting really severe to the point where I really couldn't play for more than five minutes at a time without experiencing shooting really severe pain. And at that point, (laughs) I kind of had a wake up call and I was like, I really need to figure out what's going on. Otherwise, you know, this might be a career ending injury. Like I, I don't want that to happen, I wanna keep playing. And um, it's like concerning the level of pain that I'm having from, from playing my instrument. And um, so I, that's when I started opening up to people a little bit, um, telling my teacher, really going to see um, a physical therapist and started Alexander Technique lessons. And at that same time, when I was um, kind of sitting more with my diagnosis, learning more about it and um, working with physical therapists and other professionals, that was the time that I had to choose a topic to to research for my honors thesis in undergrad. So I ended up pursuing a research study um, titled The Prevalence of Performance-Related Injuries and the Stress Connection in Collegiate Musicians. And so um, I went through the whole research process um, with my mentor and we gathered the data for that. um, And the results were that 88% of participants uh, suffered at least some form of performance-related pain throughout their career. Um, and also there, there was a positive correlation between elevated stress levels and um, pain severity as well. So that finding was really fascinating to me. There are other studies that are available that support um, similar, even higher statistics um, related to the prevalence of performance related injuries. But um, for me, that really resonated because I just never heard anyone else talking about it. But to find out that so many other people were. Were struggling with it and kind of just staying silent um, made me really sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what motivated me to create my website, Playing Without Pain, which is, um, it is a resource database that kind of houses all available performing arts health resources, um, information on specialists um, and articles, scholarly articles, research that's published, um, books, everything like that, kind of just like a one-stop shop to go um, if you're experiencing an injury and you're kind of wanting to learn a little bit more about it, um, to start pointing folks towards the right direction on, um, how to find treatment and just knowing that they're not alone. So, um, from that, I did a master's degree in music, took a year off during the pandemic, was freelancing with arts administration, and now I'm in an MBA program, so <laughs> kind of a 180 switch, um, but I'm hoping to pursue more work um, in the nonprofit industry and hopefully create my own at some point to advocate for the inclusion of performing arts health education in um, music programs. That's my story. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've been we've been talking about uh, we've been talking about this a lot. <laughs> a lot,
0: a lot, a lot. And I've been wondering about what you were going to do with your MBA. So to hear that that was your goal, it's like, okay, we've heard all the studies about a jillion times. How many musicians are injured? Yeah. We don't need any more studies. What are we doing about it? That's the thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it was um, kind of just a realization I had within the past few years, like, wow, I'm really passionate about this. Um, And again, I just wanted to take action. So I've been involved with, you know, the National Fluid Association Performance Healthcare Committee, which Angela is the current chair of and um, Performing Arts Medicine Association, just trying to um, contribute towards the projects that are going on there and also presenting on my research, presenting on, um, on other, other things that um, I've worked on as well. So it's been exciting.
0: Yeah, and you've been, you've been pretty active with the presentation stuff. So you're doing something with um, somebody in Puerto Rico, right?
1: Yeah, I'm the chair of the wellness committee um, for the Puerto Rico Flute Symposium. So the last two years have been virtual um, because of the pandemic we have hopes that it'll be in person this summer um, in Puerto Rico. So I'm excited about the possibility of going there. Um, so we're we're bringing um, a few wellness guests but mostly members of the committee are gonna be presenting. Um, so we're excited and um, hopeful that it will happen as planned. <laughs>
0: What what kind of things does the uh, the um, the symposium cover for anybody who doesn't know? Sure, Jen has a kitty. <laughs> oh, so
1: cute. <laughs> yeah. So um, the Puerto Rico flute symposium was founded actually by a few of my friends, um, and they found they saw a great need to bring um, the level of symposiums that were happening in the United States to Puerto Rico, um, since there wasn't as much access, especially with the in person component. Um, that's their main goal is to be able to reach that audience in Puerto Rico that's not able to get over to the United States for all the other festivals. Um, so they are really awesome. They are doing as much to be, um, as inclusive as possible. So they're covering a lot of the, um, like housing and the foods for the guest artists and everything. And their tuition rates are, um, are as low as possible to just make it really accessible for people to be able to attend. So they um, feature a lot of um, Latin American artists and uh, primarily for the flute and then um, for the wellness committee as well. So we've been, um, I've been working with Felipe who is um, an Alexander Technique professor. (laughs) Oh, the kid, he's so cute. (laughs) He's so needy. Uh, so, um, we,
2: sorry, he's being very needy. <laughs> <laughs> this is Jen's cat Heimdall. Yep. <laughs> he's uh, he's being a ham today.
1: So. <laughs> sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, we just- don't
2: mind kitties
1: in, in the area trying to, um, trying to contribute towards, towards building a program there. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens in person and what's, what the turnout's going to be. I I'm optimistic about it.
0: Right on, right on. So, what is the wellness committee doing? Like, when in in relation to that, so what are you, What are your focuses? Foca?
1: During the pandemic, we had. Uh, what was that? I said,
0: "Is that Folk eye? Is that the correct plural oh. of focuses?" I think.
1: I think that was fine. Made sense okay. <laughs> anyway. Um, during the pandemic, we started um, weekly wellness sessions for musicians. So it was kind of just like fifteen minutes every Sunday to. Um, Come join us on Zoom, reset, and we would bring on some guests sometimes, but also um, just present on um, a variety of different wellness related topics. So during the pandemic, um, I pursued a meditation instructor certification, and my colleague Jessica Kebby did as well. So we were co hosting that. We did a couple like Zoom meditation sessions. Um, she has had a lot of mindfulness training, so we've done a lot of mindfulness work with those. Our intention was for it to kind of just be like a Sunday reset and uh, check-in for everyone. So um, we've been taking a break from that for a little bit. We got we got a little busy, you know how that goes. <laughs> but uh, we're hoping to resume it again during the symposium. And um, our our other goals have just been connecting with. Uh, wellness professionals that are based in Latin America and, um, building our relationships with them. Very cool. Very
0: cool. Jen, sorry. <laughs> Didn't mean to
1: bowl you over with all of that. I got distracted
2: by your kitty. <laughs> no, it's our right. It's it's, I was just trying to keep muted because he was being a little bit fussy. <laughs> like let's not ruin the recording. <laughs> <laughs>
0: all good. <laughs> all good. So, um, yeah, so like to go from that, I mean, you've had quite the experience. And I, you know, I, I think that most of our listeners have had somewhat of a similar experience with having an injury, not understanding that other people have injuries, especially at 16. I know my yeah. first injury was at 16 or 17, and I had no resources.
2: Yeah. I didn't know what to do. Yep.
0: Um, it wasn't talked about. And uh, so I just went to like the bone and joint clinic and asked and they said, Oh, you've got tendonitis. You quit playing. I'm like, I have auditions for honor band coming up. That's not an option. Like, ah, well, you know, you got to rest for a while. I'm like, rest? Ah, what, you know? Oh, and here, you know, we're going to send you to physical therapy. And if it doesn't get better, we'll give you a cortisone shot. And I was like, a shot? You know, at 16, nobody wants needles. like, oh, <laughs> shot's like the worst thing in your, the uh, you don't care what it is. Nobody wants a shot of anything. Yeah. So, Yeah. And so I was like, okay, fine. I'll do the PT. And of course it went, it got, it got better. Plus my playing level went down from eight hours a day, every day to, you know, something more manageable, like mm, a couple hours a day, but it's not uncommon. What I'm seeing is that it's just, it's, it's not uncommon for younger players to start developing these injuries and they're not being prepared.
1: No, not at all. That. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of really disturbing that um, if you look at the research from when they first started researching the prevalence of injuries up until now, which has been several decades, um, the numbers have not changed, which is really disturbing. <laughs> and um, it kind of just goes to show like that these issues are just continuing to repeat themselves. It's like cyclical. And it's because I think what you said like the resources just haven't been available and um people aren't really realizing they're contributing factors until now which is very much um the notion that we are supposed to be practicing 24 7 which is what a lot of us get taught at a very early age and it's yeah. not sustainable and it's just not like it doesn't it's not actually like practical like <laughs> you can get really good work done in a short amount of time but a lot of us are just also not taught how to practice efficiently and that's another big issue um i know the saying that always resonates with me that has kind of just been playing in the back of my head that i've been working to overcome is like if you're not practicing someone else is and someone, someone else is uh, and i'm sure other listeners or maybe you guys have also heard that before and i hate it i hate it so much but yeah that was a saying that really stuck with me for a long time and that was a big reason why i had a really hard time taking breaks when I needed to. And uh, like, just not practicing 24 seven and burning myself out is it, it was hard.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the I mean, it's not just the if you're not practicing somebody else's right there. There's other ways that people but there's a lot of them out there that, that people challenge you. And then it just goes back to Oh, well, you're hurt. So either it's your fault, or you're doing something wrong, or the whole rice method which i know angela we talked about i think it was last episode which is so outdated like yeah. even the sports guys aren't using it anymore <laughs> you know? yeah. or like here's some anti-inflammatories
0: like mm-hmm. somebody tell the military ibuprofen doesn't solve everything will you right. please tell the army that's not how this works <laughs> they are they're stuck in the ibuprofen era oh yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> that's exactly it you know i mean it yeah. it's Yeah. Anyway, going back to that, we're not given these, we're not given the tools. And we interviewed Kelly Malno Wilson last week and I love her too. And she really hit on something. She's like, why is this a problem? It's like, well, athletes, we are actually athletes. We have a longer career than athletes do, Mm -hmm. but we move the same amount of hours. We do repetitive things like they do just because you're not running. Doesn't mean you're not an athlete. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have this high prevalence of repetitive use syndrome that we have, these injuries that we have can be prevented, but we're not given any tools. And I say any tools lightly because some people get Alexander technique. Some people get Feldenkrais. Some people get body mapping, but on the whole, they're still seen as novelties. These have been around for decades. Mm -hmm. They're not novel. The body is not like, what are, what is like, are like music schools steeped in like Greek mythology at this point? Like, come on, like, let's <laughs> cut, get up to the present day. Like, come on. Yeah. Why are we still promoting this fact of like, okay, if you're not practicing someone else is so. Yeah. And, and your point is, okay. Maybe they shouldn't be practicing.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> more doesn't equal better. How many times are people ruined by thinking more is better?
1: Mm-hmm. It's not
0: always better. Just Mm -hmm. putting in time is useless. Putting in efficient time is worth something.
1: Yeah, absolutely. When are we
0: taught that though? It's about, oh, you should be practicing four hours a day. Well, so soon.
1: I think that is I've seen seen positive trends. Um, You know, just looking at like the kinds of events that are programmed in conferences lately and um, like uh, presentations at symposiums and, and things like that. And just the conversations people are having. I think a lot of people want to, like get more involved in wellness work, but just really don't know what to do. And a lot of the time people are afraid of messing up their students or saying the wrong thing. So I think a lot of the time, like they just don't want to touch it, but like Mm -hmm. they want to be involved, but they also don't want to like say the wrong thing. So I think it's just like, it, there just needs to be more availability for like you know training courses for music educators or like just giving them some of the basics or references for their students to and things like that um like PAMA has I don't know if you've ever taken a PAMA course but they have like the essentials of performing arts medicine for music educators so I took that a couple summers ago and that was really helpful and I really think um more people should take it it's available online now but um yeah. I thought like things like that are really useful and really needed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I know I've got a course that is doing the same. I'm calling it job security, but it's basically, yeah. it's basically the same thing. Austin Panzer also has the same yeah. thing. And we interviewed him a while back. He's yeah. got another course. So like these resources are out there. We can't just expect them for free though, because, yeah. you know, our degrees weren't free. Mm-hmm. Education doesn't have to be free, but there, there are these resources, which is super exciting that this is starting to come out.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. There's just, there's lots of resources available and I hope that more people become aware of them because I think it's like what people are looking for, but don't necessarily know it yet, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do see, see a positive trend, but I just, um, I, I think it's from a lack of knowing where, like knowing what to say or knowing how to say it, things like that. Mm. Yeah. But also I think a lot of people still just you know, if they haven't had a personal experience with it, it's hard for them to relate.
0: Yeah. And that's true. So have you had any experiences? Well, with, with your website, as you are, you know, getting all of these different resources, are there, is there anything that's coming up more and more that you've been surprised with, or that people have reached out and said, Hey, do you have this? Mm -hmm. Have you, do you know anybody? I mean, anything like that?
1: Yeah, um, I've been really fascinated by um, how many like performance-related issues are stemming back to things like like traumatic experiences and like how strong the mind-body connection is. That's been really interesting for me to research um, lately, and that kind of was sparked by the results of my study. But um, just knowing that there are so many other components that can also contribute to injury severity. And like, obviously it doesn't cause injury, but it has the potential to like worsen it. If, um, you're in a state of constant activation, things like that. Um, I'm sure that you both can (laughs) explain that definitely in a more nuanced way than I can, but yeah. Um, it's just so interesting how many other components that I didn't think about when I was initially, um, working on on my injury can also come into effect. Um, But I'd say that trauma has been a big topic in general lately throughout like a bunch of industries. And and I have been curious to learn more about um, its intersection with music and some, you know more trauma informed resources and education practices for musicians.
0: So when you say trauma, Mm -hmm. Are you saying that's related to performance anxiety or just performance-related issues in general what um, you're seeing?
1: I'd say more like traumatic experiences. Um, there's a high prevalence of you know um, abuse in every industry, but mm-hmm. uh, specifically in, in music performance, you know the pressure is really high. Um, I think we've all had instances with you know, past um, maybe mentors, band directors, where it's just been a very traumatic experience. And it's kind of hard to get out of that sometimes. Um, I know I have. So um, I think those isolated experiences, um, but especially if they happen repeatedly, can really affect affect your nervous system and the way that you function um, over time, which can contribute to performance anxiety. Um, so I, everything's really interrelated. It's really fascinating to me.
0: Sorry, Jen, I feel like I'm like taking over the whole conversation. No, no, it's
2: all right. It's all right. Everything jump in. What's what's funny? Go ahead. It's good because it ties into we, I don't think the episode's out yet. Yeah, this is where you were going. I don't think the episode's out yet, but we just did one on, um, did we end up titling it Abusive Teachers? Toxic Teachers. Toxic Teachers. Yes, we did. We did. We went that way. (laughs) (laughs) that (laughs) yeah we we just did an episode on that um just the two of us and um yeah so many things and especially um I don't think I talked about this in that recording but you know when I was coming back from my injury um I I actually ended up being very lucky with a couple key support people it didn't it didn't mess me up as bad as it could have but um you know if you have an injury as a musician you're dealing with one of those um band directors let's say and who's you know Mm -hmm. can be problematic i'm not going to say problematic because they really weren't but they can be um and even if it's just a a, um an issue of can you actually get through the concert Mm -hmm. you know even if you know you can and like you've been cleared to and everything's going fine but having that question come up and having it come up more than once, like yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. I I was lucky, but I can see that um, being a big problem for some people with anxiety. And like yeah. we said, we, how many of us have injuries? And you know. who wants their
0: who wants their ability questioned and right. not given any resources to deal with it, but just right.
2: Can you do this? Right. right, right. Well, and we've talked about this ad nauseum. The first thing people ask me when I when they find out I was injured is. Well, what can you do now? Yeah. All all the, all the things like (laughs) (laughs) better than I used to could. Why is this a question? You know, like this, why is this your first question? Not what happened? Not, not how did you get out of it, but what can you do now?
1: Or are you okay? (laughs) Like
2: (laughs) Like it's a permanent thing. Yeah. Yeah. So just to kind of expound on that. I'm sorry. I'm a little foggy headed again today. No, I, I totally <laughs> agree. It's just been really,
1: really fascinating to me. And I've been seeing like a lot more studies, not just in the arts, but in other fields um, coming up about that kind of research. And so I've just been really drawn to it. And that's what I've been interested in learning more about lately. But um, I think a lot of people based on like some messages I've gotten and things like that um, have a lot of traumatic experiences within um the arts and within studying the arts. And it, it just makes me sad.
0: I understand. Um, I think we talked about this a little bit with Lee as well about um, the, maybe maybe in an indirect way, but um, actually no, it was with Mark. Um, so we talked with uh, my colleague, Mark Wallace, who has focal dystonia of the embouchure and he can trace it back to the beginnings of it to he had a teacher who hyper fixated on his embouchure and how it looked forget how he sounded well your embouchure looks weird it should look like this
1: oh no
0: basically ruins him and now he has vocal dystonia
1: Ooh. oh my yeah. god
0: so i mean i was in college with him and i remember when suddenly mark couldn't play and then mark dropped out or something like that i mean we're like what mark was great where'd mark go you know what happened you know and then our teacher ended up having it and then he retired not, I don't think he wanted to retire, but he had vocal dystonia. And then we, it, it's, like a, it's like a death sentence is what it's told because we're not given these resources. It's like, let's sweep this under the rug. Like let's just pretend you have nerve damage or something. No, let's actually focus on these issues and talk about what they are. And why don't we not just wait until they're a problem? Why don't we just talk about them? Why don't we educate ourselves on these things that like, if you hold your instrument in a certain way, for hours a day, times decades. Yeah, yeah something is going to happen. I mean, your body's not meant to be in a static position, especially if you play a, a stick of some sort, you know, whether it's a metal flute stick or a, you know, a clarinet stick or a trumpet stick. I mean, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, We put it simplistically, it kind of makes sense. We're holding ourselves in these positions, right? And we just expect our bodies to be able to do that for hours and hours and hours, like hundreds of thousands of hours. Yeah. But we're not given it. And then we're told we're not very good when we can't do that. You don't tell a running back or a, a quarterback or, you know, uh, a pitcher that they're not very good if something happens. They're just yeah. like, oh no, okay, he's going to go get taken care of. We hope he gets better soon. It's not like made a big deal out of, but the care is there. Mm-hmm. There's no stigma attached. They get taken care of. They, they get better and they come back out. Musicians is like, oh, your career is over. That's <laughs> not you oh, no, no, this is not how this works.
1: You have so much to learn from sports medicine. And I know that you've already picked up on that and have been incorporating that into your work. But I just think it's so important for others who are interested in like, in pursuing this field, like there's a lot we can learn. Like they are so much more progressive, more well-funded, more well-researched. It's just like, there's a lot of crossover that we can mm-hmm. influence from. Yeah.
0: Wouldn't it be great to see, okay, so every sport I know of has some type of athletic trainer or coach yeah. or both on staff. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great to see every major orchestra and every recording studio have somebody on call or on staff?
1: For sure. And any it any different. different. I think we should. I think you should go for it. <laughs> <laughs> me? <laughs> There's only one
0: of me. Maybe I can do one or yeah. two or three, but that's it.
1: Start with one, see what happens, you know? <laughs>
0: Exactly. That's why I'm. I I mean, I don't see any reason why the major orchestras can't have, you know, musician care is a team wellness approach. Just Mm -hmm. like athletes have a wellness approach, it's not like you just see the trainer. No, no, no. You probably go see a PT. You see massage therapist. You see a blah 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 blah. Right.
1: It's a team effort. Yeah, that's what saved me. Honestly, it really did. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So what, tell, tell us a little bit more about your story and how you came out of the injury that you have and like how you have dealt with it.
1: Yeah. So I got it to a manageable point and I say manageable because I mean, I'm still working on healing it. It's it going to take a very long time as long as I continue playing it. I've made a lot of progress, um, which is great, but there's still a lot of things that I'm also unlearning, like related to actively playing my flute that our injury causing, and I'm still figuring that out. So it's, it's been a long process, but initially, um, the combination of physical therapy and Alexander technique. And I was also swimming a lot at that point, um, which swimming was great for, for me at the time. Um, so I was doing a combination of those three things, practicing less love the cat appearance again.
0: (laughs) If you guys are not watching this and you're only listening to this, Jen has a cat who's like crawling
2: up her body. I keep trying to redirect him to <laughs> like, let's do what I'm they so do. Sorry. I'm so sorry. He's so <laughs> needy today. It's, sorry, okay. Francesca.
1: it's okay. Yeah. But the combination of like of those three things at the time was helpful. In addition to um, starting to reduce my practice time and learning how to practice more efficiently and um, reducing the amount of things that I was trying to do. Cause I was always, and I still catch myself trying to do this. I was always trying to do like a million things at once, do all the competitions, do all the auditions, like learning so much repertoire past what was required of me. Um, so I really had to cut back on that when I was actively in treatment for my injury. Um, so I got it to a manageable, manageable, manageable point by the end of undergrad. Um, when I started grad school, I continued, I found a physical therapist in New York. I actually was working with um, a body tuning therapist. Um, so is Dr. Shmuel Tatz? Um, he worked with musicians in the New York Philharmonic and things like that. Um, so they incorporated physical therapy with um, with Alexander technique and um, kind of more of the somatic practices. And it was really interesting. It helped a lot. Um, it was recommended to me actually by my physical therapist from back home. She found one that worked with musicians. She was like, "You should try this." So it was great. Um, I tried. I was recommended chiropractic care. So I did that for a little bit. Um, So I was consistently in treatment while I was in grad school, but the expectations got a lot higher. The pressure got a lot more intense. Mm. And so I noticed I was getting some flare-ups even with the the treatment that I was actively receiving. Um, So that was kind of scary. And every time a flare-up happened, I would always just go back to that mindset, like, oh my gosh, what if this is the time that like my career is going to end? Like, (laughs) like how much more can I take before I like actually have to consider like not pursuing performance, which is such a hard thing to grapple with. (laughs) So, um, but I was at least a little bit more aware of it at this point, um, communicated with my teacher, um, that I had an injury in the past. Um, luckily she was really, really supportive of it. So, um, that was definitely nice, but, um, I graduated during the pandemic, I continued to really just enter whatever I could, which I look back and I'm like, why did I do that? Why didn't I just take a break? Like everyone else in the world, like no one was playing. And I was like, why was I just still going 100 miles ahead when I really needed to just like rest for my shoulder? So I I was still, um, and then my flare up got like really bad after that. I think it was also because of, you know, I was practicing a lot more wasn't in classes really because everything was canceled or on (laughs) zoom. And, um, so at that point I was really just like, I need to figure this out. Like I can't keep pushing my body through this pain. So I took, I went to, um, another doctor and got an MRI. Um, they said it was, um, tendinosis of the left supraspinatus muscle. Mm -hmm. So, um, I started, (laughs) yeah, I (laughs) body mapping training during that time too. So, um, I was working with a couple teachers, um, as an affiliate and now I'm a trainee with them. So that, um, studying that was really helpful at the time, took several months off, um, was working actively with a physical therapist again, and also switched flutes. That was huge. Um, my Angela and I had done a study on this, like just kind of looking at the differences of, of weights of flutes and how that might impact, um, impact playing and playing related injuries. For me, it was a huge issue. My flute was really heavy. Um, so I switched to a much lighter flute now. Um, and I did weigh the difference. It was like almost a 12 ounce difference. (laughs) So it was significant. So, um, that helped. And then, um, taking some of the pressure off myself, not trying to do a ton, Um, and yeah, I've, I've been feeling really good. I've been playing a decent amount lately. Um, I've been doing, you know, keeping up with my strength training, doing spin classes, which I love And yeah, being active and, um, my shoulder has been feeling a lot better. So it's, it's still not totally healed. Um, I don't honestly know if it will ever be totally healed as long as I'm still playing, but it's definitely, it's so much better than it used to be.
0: Yeah. So. so you mentioned ten, uh, tendinosis, right? Tendinosis that can definitely heal. Any kind of soft tissue injury can heal. That's why we okay. call it soft. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Some hope there. Okay, but um, yeah, there were a couple things that you mentioned that I just I want to go back to. In the last one, I just it just I yep. just lost it. Um, but you mentioned pushing through. You know, when the pandemic started and you had oh, I know what it was. Okay. So when you, you said you cut back on your playing time and after you had just said, you know, you felt like if no one's practiced, if you're not practicing someone else's, did that, did that affect you, you know, a little bit as in like, do you feel like, okay, so you cut back on your practice time. Does that make you feel like less of a musician? Because I know that's what other people are thinking. Like, oh, if if I'm not practicing someone else's and I must not be very good. And there are so many other ways to practice and I mean, has your musicianship like drastically decreased or anything?
1: It's funny. Um, I've definitely grappled with a lot of those feelings, like within the past year, especially, um, I definitely have days where I feel very anxious that I'm not practicing. Um, (laughs) so sometimes if it gets really bad, I'll just pick up my flute for five minutes, play something that I like playing and then put it away. And like, sometimes that helps a little bit, but Yeah. yeah, definitely experienced that feeling of like oh my gosh like I always need to be practicing so like some days it's worse than others but um honestly I feel that my musicianship has gotten way better now that I'm not playing for eight hours a day anymore um because I've been able to be more intentional about like how I want things to sound um and taking breaks for me was really helpful and um just allowing my mind a chance to like digest the information from practicing Then when I come back to it, I'm like, oh, this, um, this passage I was struggling with, I actually think I know of a way to practice it that will make it easier and more comfortable. And then, so I'll try it and it usually works. So like Mm -hmm. the breaks really help so much. And like, we just, I just never knew that until very recently, which is, which I think is the experience of most people that study music. (laughs) It's
0: like being in the gym. You can't do bicep curls every day and expect your biceps to grow. When you you tear your muscles down, you create these microscopic tears right in the muscles. They Mm. have to repair when you rest. They don't grow in the gym. They grow when you're out. So it's the same with the musicianship. Your
1: brain has to have that time
0: to assimilate everything. Like, imagine if you didn't sleep. How recovered would you be?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it's just like taking the time. Like, you need sleep. You need rest. Like, yeah, it's... It's really mind blowing, but also a very good realization to have. And then with the free time that I've freed up, I'm not practicing eight hours a day. Um, I've been able to like actually have hobbies. (laughs) 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 Like it should be normal, but it was very very normal for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. What What are your hobbies? Um I love doing crossword puzzles. I like really do, <laughs> which is super nerdy, but it's okay. Um, I love going on like walks, um, which is like, you know, again, sounds normal, but like <laughs> something that I just never carved out the time to do. Yeah. Like I, I love exercising and, um, a lot, like I used to kind of just do it. Cause I felt like I needed to, but now I'm like, Oh, it makes me feel really good. It gives myself a mental break too. It relieves some stress, some anxiety. So it's like, yeah, I'd say like, like taking long walks, like going to, you know, a spin class, like stuff like that. It's just like stuff that I never thought I could do because I didn't have time, but now I do. And it's great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's so funny how that happens. (laughs) My musician, what are your hobbies? Oh my
1: gosh. Like, music. like, you know, like, you know. like listening to music, just, like, practicing to music, <laughs> practicing, um, watching Netflix,
2: <laughs> like, <laughs> right, going to the music library right. account, <laughs> right? You know, yeah, it's true. Um, <laughs> so, because I know what time it is, I'm gonna suggest we take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, I actually have a question for you. So this will be fun. You're <laughs> be right back after this.
0: Hey, musicians, did you know that up to 90% of musicians will experience playing related pain or injury over the course of their career? How many hushed conversations have you heard about a lingering, quote, shoulder pain or a weird tingling in your fingers or maybe low back pain or a crampy weakness or maybe you or your colleague just says, I just have to get through the gig? and you watch them pop Advil like candy, maybe flush it down with whiskey. How many times have we seen something like this? So many, right? Well, it's time we start talking about our struggles, our pain, our frustrations in a private space where we don't just complain and mobilize and blindly stretch, but we learn how to strengthen our muscles, our career successes and build each other up. I've got a brand new program that combines all of these things and I want you to be a part of it. It's a community. Not a workout. It's a community with group coaching and great content that in 12 weeks will have you understanding more about your body, what you need, and how you work so you can avoid that career threatening injury. The three things that musicians don't want we don't want to be injured, we don't want to have a lack of stamina, and we don't want to be clueless. AKA, when you hurt, who do you go see? Just a quote doctor? Well, this program addresses all of those things. You're going to walk away with an immense knowledge of who to see. You're going to be empowered because you're going to know what to do should you ever get injured or should you have a colleague that gets injured. You will be able to actually offer appropriate advice. You're also going to learn about the body and the anatomy as it relates to playing your instrument and your own anatomy. And then you're going to learn how to build not just your strength and endurance, but you're going to learn how to design your own corrective exercise program. So I hope you will join me in this new program. It's called the Music Strong Pilot Program, Job Security for Musicians. Hey, welcome back to the Tune in Strong podcast. We are interviewing Francesca Leo. And Jen actually had some questions that she's, uh, she wanted to propose. So here we go.
2: I did. Um, and, and this one is actually based on... Um... You know, dealing with with my students or students who approach me, or just people in the community who approach me who are going through an injury. Um, you know, they like talking to me, and it's because I openly discuss this sort of thing, and I've been through it before. But it seems like there there can be a barrier because I'm so far on the other side of the injury; it's not fresh for me anymore, um, and I'm pretty confident with my current routine. Um, but the the people who are in it, who are coming to me, um, even though I see it as a here's your step here's your steps here's how you get it done and it's organized Mm -hmm. um there's a lot of sense of just being super overwhelmed um like there's there's too many things to do there's not enough time in the day to do it and um you know you're so enthusiastic about this stuff that I know it came out very rapid fire and so I'm just putting putting myself in, in their shoes and going okay well if I was in these students shoes who are overwhelmed by what I tell them which is if you can't figure out what you need to be doing and how to organize it, then you need a third party's help. You know, (laughs) they're that frazzled that like, well, but no, help is too much. I'm like, you know, help is what you need, hun. (laughs) Team approach. If they were were listening to all the things that you've been through, because, you know, you've been in it long enough that you've experienced like we have too, like all the different things. um, It might seem like, well how do you have time to do anything and like I don't I don't understand you're just doing all the stuff just so you can play and like what what does that mean so I was hoping that you could maybe break down for us kind of what your actual day or week is like and how it's organized and how you stay sane.
1: (laughs) No that's a great point and I'm so glad that you brought that up. I first of all want to say how lucky your students are to have someone like you. Oh my gosh if there was someone (laughs) to that outlined an organized plan of like what I could do to like help feel help myself feel better at that time oh my gosh that would have been a life changer so you are just such I just know that you are such a great presence in their lives and I wish I had someone like (laughs) So yeah I just wanted to say that first (laughs) but um for me it, it was a lot of trial and error because I just did not have a set of references at all from like anyone that I knew that was close to me that had been through something like this. And, um, some of the people I did know that, um, experienced injuries, um, just ended up stopping, which is uh, really common and unfortunately really heartbreaking too. Um, so I just really didn't have a point of reference at first when I started. So I totally understand the overwhelmed feeling. Um, one of the open-ended responses from the study I did, um, was kind of just asking the participants to, outline like their feelings towards um being in school and dealing with um pain if they were experiencing it one of them was just uh, exactly what you said feeling so overwhelmed to do so much work to take care of yourself just to be able to keep playing and also juggling homework assignments and like probably part-time jobs and stuff like that it's like a lot and take like injury treatment can sometimes feel like it it's a full-time job sometimes (laughs) so it's Mm -hmm. like lot to juggle all at once. Um, I, when I was first, um, kind of going through the treatment process, I was going to physical therapy twice a week at first, which later was, um, reduced to once a week. Once I started making some progress, um, only went to Alexander technique lessons once a week, once every two weeks. Um, so it really wasn't like a bunch of things every single week. Um, when I was in grad school, like I would go to body tuning appointments once or twice a week, um, which took some travel time, so that was a bit hard to fit into my schedule. Um, but that was really it and then just maintaining a consistent exercise routine that worked for me. Um, when I was actively in treatment this past year, I was um, able to stop playing for a couple months. I know that some people are in a situation where their income depends on it. So it's really depending on like what's the situation you're in. I-, I was able to take time off. I was going to physical therapy only twice a week again. So I've never really gone more than, more than that. And when I started body mapping lessons, it was once a week, once every two weeks. Um, so it wasn't as much all at once as I kind of initially made it seem. So I'm glad that you brought that up because it definitely probably sounded like it <laughs> But um, for me. Yeah, I kind of just got really interested in like learning everything that I could mm. about it. I'm really passionate about it. So I ended up just kind of diving into like all the research and stuff like that. And um, cause it's, it's part of my work moving forward. So I would say my commitment level was um, higher than it needed to be, but mm. Um, in general, it's like, I think it's more of a, um, and, you know, feel free to chime in on this, but I think it's more of a like consistent progress type thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and also just not, um, putting so much pressure on yourself because it can easily fall into the same thing as that, oh, I'm not practicing all the time. So I can't make it to where, oh, I'm not always focusing on my injury, progress so it's never gonna heal you know I feel like there's a lot of black and white thinking that's prevalent Mm -hmm. in the industry and I feel like I've fallen into that trap myself so I understand how challenging it can be
2: yeah yeah so it, it it sounds to me like and I'm I'm extrapolating here it sounds to me like maybe you're putting in currently about four hours into like maintenance yeah, for me, maintenance um, looks like. I say maintenance. I mean improve, yeah. like maintenance towards improvement. Like to be clear, so. I think that's a great
1: term for where I'm at right now. Um, yeah, it's really just kind of like doing my strength training exercises, like um, two or three times a week for me. Now it's going to be different for everybody, um, mm-hmm. and, and also just doing my um, cardio two three times a week and. I really never do more than 45 minutes. Um, just with what what else I have going on right now. Um, so yeah, but it looks different for everyone, and I think you just have to find what works best for you and fits into your schedule and doesn't add yeah. stress because that's not yeah. going to injury at all. Yeah,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so Finding- it's really not an overwhelming amount of time, which I know Angela and I have said before. Yeah. But- <laughs> yeah.
0: And finding what works for you, and we we talked yeah. about this in the Healthy Habits series about you know like finding your mm-hmm. your we we talked about basically your workout motivation. We were talking about this book, the the No Sweat book, which yeah. is so so key to finding like what works for you when you're looking for an exercise routine that you don't have to do something just because somebody said you should do it. I mean, if you love spin right. class, my gosh, go to spin class. <laughs> right. I, I love riding bikes. I hate <laughs> spin class. Put me out on the road for six hours. I am delighted. Put yeah. me in a room with sweaty people, and I am like, oh, oh I hate this. You know? really? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> they're not the same. They're not the same. And that's fine. But there's also something to think about um, when you're going through treatment, and just to speak from a, a surgery standpoint and a broken bone standpoint. Yeah. You know, Um, these are not plane related injuries. I know when we were talking about when you mentioned the, the flute weight article that we did, and that's coming out in the flutist quarterly issue, like one of our upcoming issues. So if you are part of the NFA, you're going to see that and you can actually reference it on both of our websites and you actually have the database on your website as well. So we'll put that in the show notes, but something that, um, thinking about all of that, sorry, I, I went in too many directions at once, but (laughs) The thinking of, Oh, I know what it was. You mentioned you were going through an injury. When we did that, I was going through my fourth playing related injury at that time, which has been two years since that had happened Um, since that happened. And I still, I think I finally got a diagnosis about four months ago, an accurate diagnosis of double crush syndrome, which is where you have a nerve that it's impinged in more than one space. Uh, The chiropractor that I highly respect is a good friend of mine said, quit playing and stop working out. It was the worst information I could have gotten. Everything got way worse when he said that. So as a hypermobile individual, that doesn't help. Mm -hmm. So, you know, rest is not always the answer. Yeah. It can be the answer, but you know, coming from that situation, like, you know, the, the, having a lighter weight flute, like we tried all those different flutes was actually, I felt like we were both in a really good situation to be able to try all the lighter weight and like find what was working because both of us were dealing with playing related injuries and, what does the weight feel like? How does that change things? Right. Right. But then transitioning into um, and boy, has that blown up since we posted that. People are constantly, I don't know if they're sending it to you, but they're sending it to me like, hey, what's a good lighter weight? I'm gonna have to quote downgrade my flute because it's
1: oh um, no honey. Heavy to light. I went Wait from silver so right and it was lighter.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just because it's heavy doesn't mean it's better. Yeah. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. Exactly, right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, where I am now? So, I had that bicycle accident. You know, I had screws put in my finger, in my thumb, to put it back together. And when they said you're going to have to have surgery, I was like, and of course. I had I had been cognizant for a few hours. It knocked me out, and they're telling me this. I'm like, I have to what in my thumb? I play flute. This is you know, I'm like trying not to freak out. And I was like, oh, at least it's my right thumb, not my you know thumb key thumb. But I was like what do you mean? Like have to, is there like a, like, you can't just pull it back and tape it up. And like, you know, I don't know. And then I realized, okay, so this is the thing. So you don't want to have to get to a situation where you have to have a surgical intervention. Yeah. And most of the stuff we deal with as musicians can be prevented before we get to this point. But if we're at this point, like where I am, I'm seeing, I see a doctor the once every couple of weeks at this point, And then I see a hand therapist once a week, and then I'm taking care of my own fitness for a few hours a week, but it's not something that you can just do sporadically as what I'm hearing you saying. And what I, what we have said, it's, it's basically small things done consistently over time, which is you, what's important.
1: It's just like, you know, practicing too. Like that's, yeah, that's like the method that I've unlocked. That's, I, it took me a long time to figure out consistency, um, intention, and just like celebrating the progress and like celebrating the small wins, you know,
0: (laughs) yes, every small win is a big win because we're so conditioned to ignore the wins and focus on the losses. And like, what could I do to improve that? Well, you should celebrate the fact that you did something right.
1: Yeah. We're not taught
0: to really celebrate what's right. Yeah, exactly. And then we just get into that other mindset. So, um, Yeah. I don't know if you want to go down that path, but I have another thought from something she said earlier. You have anything that you want to. So there was something you said a little bit ago when the pandemic started two years ago, this month, uh, this week, I think (laughs) (laughs) ish. Um, Everything (laughs) shut down and we all kind of went, you know, everything shut down. We all stayed at home. We didn't know what was going on. You are not the first musician I have heard that said, this is my time. I don't know what else to do. I don't have anything else to do. I, you did, you said you pushed through, you didn't have a break. Mm-hmm. You just sat at home and practice. And I can't tell you how many musicians have said, I don't, it's like they don't have any hobbies. I don't know what else to do. So I have all this time. So I am practicing six to eight hours a day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Every day. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit more about that mindset that kind of went into that period of time, because I know we, we talked about it in earlier episodes, but like being removed from it now, it's kind of nice to go back and, you know, people are still dealing with this.
1: And reflect on it for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, for me, I think I was always used to kind of jam-packing my schedule as much as possible, um, just in general. Like, that's just how I'm wired. And, you know, it's good in some ways, but not great in others. So, you know, it's been something I'm working on, the work-life balance. (laughs) Um, But um, yeah, (laughs) so a lot of people have the same experience. So um, I think for me, it was um, kind of more of like, oh, I have extra time now. I didn't have this time, even though everything was getting canceled, none of us really knew when it was going to start up again. So at the beginning, um, I think I was kind of just like wanting to quote unquote stay in shape, which I do the quotes. Cause I'm like, <laughs> you know, that's not great. Yeah. Der- yeah. <laughs> but that was like kind of my mindset, um, or what I thought was going to happen, which, you know, I know that it doesn't work that way, but, um, so I was just trying to like keep playing consistently. And then I was like, oh, well, competitions are still going on. Like they're going virtual, so I can enter them. And it was like something to work towards. And that's what I felt like I needed to do at that time. Um, and I don't know if that was like self-imposed pressure. Some of it may might've come from like, you know, other people were doing it. So I was like, oh, might as well just try um, but I also have noticed like over the past few years, like it's really hard for me to like rest or like, if I don't have anything to do, I feel anxious. And, um, that's like a result of you know, other mental health stuff. And I think a lot of people also feel that way, but 100%, 100%. for you, like,
0: 100%
1: filling up my schedule as much as possible. Cause I didn't really want to experience those anxious feelings <laughs> when I didn't have anything to do. So, um, I've kind of since learned to just like I just need to sit with it sometimes. And that's the only way that I'll be able to like, um, balance my life a little bit more, um, or a little bit less like work heavy and more like, um, you know, like spending time with my family and like Mm -hmm. doing things I enjoy, which are really important. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it was like one, I didn't know what else to do. Cause I didn't really have any other hobbies. And two, I didn't like the feeling of not knowing what to do or uncertainty. And there was a lot of that during that time. (laughs) And so I was kind of just trying to like numb it out by just focusing on playing, I guess.
0: Mm. That's a very key point. You said you wanted to numb it out and think of how many people and how many ways people numbed the situation out, whether it was with booze, Netflix, practicing, -hmm. People went on the home exercise binge during that time. Y'all remember this? We talked about it, and I think it was like episode like four or something. Because home exercise stuff. Yeah, Yeah. because you couldn't (laughs) stop hearing like the push-up challenge or the squat challenge. Like I don't the pressure, the pressure of society, and not just not just music society, but it but society in general to always, I think this is a, this is an American thing more than it's like an Italian thing or a European thing or a French thing, right? It's it's to always be doing, being productive. And we see rest as unproductive, Mm -hmm. but rest is where, where you regroup, where you regain your energy, where you, you know, if you're, if you're breaking down your muscles in the gym, like we said, this is where they grow. Yeah. If you're practicing, this is where that your brain has to have time to assimilate when we rest We dream. That's where our brain sorts our thoughts into stuff. We have to have that time. And yet we feel guilty for it.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: I feel you. I'm in the same spot. Like, yeah, yeah, we're not alone here. I mean, as musicians, I think we're kind of wired that way to be productive and maximize every every second. And we see hobbies as like a luxury instead of a necessity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: So we could go down the rabbit hole with that, but I don't want to go on a negative tangent there. So, you know, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that to the forefront though, because like I said, I've heard so many musicians say, I just didn't know what else to do. Yeah. And so I've just been practicing and they're two years later, they're still like, I've just been sitting in my apartment practicing. (laughs) Oh my gosh.
1: (laughs) Like, yeah, for me, I had to just kind of divert my attention to something else. Um, which, you know, is, it's not ideal, but that's the only thing that kind of got me out of the, I need to be practicing all the time mindset. So I like, I love learning and like, that's how I spend a lot of my time, honestly, just like learning about new things. So, um, yeah, that was like kind of when I really started diving into all the performer arts medicine research and, and stuff like that. And I really enjoyed it. Um, so that was, I mean, that was how I directed my attention, but how mm-hmm. I is have that.
0: What? Is that why you decided to pursue an MBA?
1: Um, partially, I also picked up a lot of freelance music admin work and I had always kind of worked in music administration, found that my undergrad had a one-year program um, and it was kind of something I had been considering for a while. So I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna do it. And I don't regret it. It's, it's been great, it's been intense, but it's been great, so <laughs> yeah.
0: Nice, so I'm curious on the whole MBA thing. Um, what kind of, like, where, where are you trying to go with that? And what, I don't know, do you have any advice for any musicians that are thinking about pursuing that kind of thing and feeling like they might be selling out on their music degree to pursue a business degree?
1: Yeah. Well, I've experienced a lot of those thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Ultimately, it comes down to just having a sense of confidence that like, no matter what you do, no one can take away Um, your musicianship and your, you being an artist um, and like your, you know, your background, how many years you've put into practicing, no one can take that away from you. And it can feel like that sometimes. Um, But also just to know that there are so many people right now that are facing this dilemma um, of really like, you know, being trained to either perform in an orchestra or teach full-time And there's just like the jobs are so limited, um, especially now when things are still a little bit more uncertain. They're opening up again, for sure. But um, there aren't as many. And um, they're kind of unpredictable as well. In the
0: traditional sense, for sure.
1: In the traditional sense, exactly. So I think a lot of people are having to kind of pivot and Go in different directions. And um, so, just knowing that you're not alone in doing that and knowing that, like, most of us are feeling the same emotions. Even um, friends that I've talked to that are still full time pursuing orchestral careers have been questioning it. Um, and I've talked with them about it, and they were like, Yeah, I just really, like, I don't know. I feel like I need to, like, I, or I want to do something different. So, everyone's kind of going through the same thing. I think it's important to know that. Um, but for me, um, the the mba was appealing cuz i did a minor in entrepreneurship um plus the work that i was kind of picking up i was really enjoying so i just wanted to um enter that program to refine my skill set and there's many other business programs you can do there's like online courses you can take too you don't have to do a full program um, if if that's not something you're able to do um there's lots of great online courses for just like generating business skills things like that um so for me, I wanted to learn more about, um, honestly, like money, like finance, because I just didn't know anything. And, um, also there were a couple of research courses and statistics courses. So I, that was really appealing to me in the program because, um, I'm thinking I might want to go down more towards the research route in the future and refining those skills, um, has been helpful. So I'm a research assistant with the Center for Arts and Medicine right now at the University of Florida. I'm just doing like a one semester like assistant position. It's remote. Um obviously I haven't been flying to Florida every week. That'd be a little intense <laughs> <laughs> in Ohio. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but that's been like really great. And I've been able to use the skills that I learned in my statistics class to apply to that. So for me it was a good fit. Um, but I think just if finding your niche was something that took me a while, um, and everyone has a different interest. And there's obviously no shame if if you still want to pursue an orchestral job or a, or a teaching job full time. And just know that like there are still opportunities to do that. But also knowing that there's also no shame in in the meantime um, working in a in a different field, um, even working a non music job. You know, I'm applying to several jobs right now. Half of them are non music. And that's okay. <laughs> but it took me a long time to realize that. Um, so I think just finding like what makes you really passionate, um, even if it's outside of music, you could find a way to combine those passions um, or just kind of embracing studying something else for for a little bit and getting experience in a different field, because that can only help you in the long run. So I think it's it's really common for all of us right now to be experimenting with different Um, fields, different jobs, and just kind of trying to figure things out because no one really knows what's going on. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) I think that's a beautiful blessing of COVID is that it allowed us the freedom and the ability, like it allowed us to pivot to whatever because we were kind of all forced to do something different. And so anything went and it's kind of a beautiful thing if you look
1: at it that way. It is. I found a lot of silver linings for as much, you know, pain and, um, stress this has been. It's, there's definitely silver linings that I found.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Jen, do you have any other thoughts?
2: No, I mean, (laughs) I I hate to be like that, but no, I mean, I think we covered a lot of really good stuff. Um, and, and you've hit on so many things, uh, Francesca that we've been We've been talking about in some fashion or another for a long time now and it's it's so good to get um get those you know con- confirmations or like you know just reiterations from a, a place of just positivity and success because i mean it sounds like you're being quite successful with um with yeah. your your injury and your performance and um your let's call it quote secondary area but like the business stuff. It's not really a secondary area, but I don't know what else to call it.
0: Her <laughs> <Our laughs> career path is taking on in go. a new way yeah, and That's it's right. going well.
2: <laughs> Your new branch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank
0: you. It's, it's refreshing to hear that. And like she said, I mean, there's so many things you hit on, like you just said thing after thing after and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad we're hearing this over and over. And you just hear this theme throughout our podcast yeah. and we're not bringing it up. It's other people are bringing it up. It's like, you know, like hearing that people are afraid that their injury is going to make them have to quit and they're in graduate school. Oh my gosh. Right. Like this should not right. be a thing, Yeah. you know? Yeah. And so it just, just these things. So, um, is there anything that you want to talk about that, that, um, that, that you're doing that you want to push out? Like if anybody wants to contact you and, and get more in touch with you or any offerings that you have or anything?
1: Sure. Um, so on my Instagram at playing without pain, um, I've been offering worry group meetings where we kind of just all um, gather over Zoom and talk about things that have been stressing us out or making us anxious. Um. So I was running those monthly, but we've dropped down to kind of like every other month. Um, so I post about upcoming meetings. Those are always free to join. We usually like if anyone wants to donate, we usually pick a different charity every week, um, meet for like an hour and a half. So that's something that I offer um, through my Instagram that you can sign up, um, also through my Facebook page. Um, I'm presenting at the MTNA conference coming up on March 28th um, with my colleague, Laura Amariello. She teaches piano at Ithaca right now. And we're talking about um, navigating difficult emotions in the music studio. So um, ways to um, handle when a student comes into a lesson and is very highly activated, um, very distressed, um, things like that, that I've definitely experienced um, not only as a student, but from a teacher standpoint, I think it can kind of take us teachers by shock sometimes. So we're doing a presentation on um, some techniques that and tools that you can have in your toolkit to equip you to handle those situations um, and resources as well. So that's at the MTNA conference um, coming up. But other than that, uh, just looking forward to graduating in August. Yeah, when do you graduate? August, yeah. Around NFA? Yeah, I'll be in NFA, yep.
0: So I'll see you there. we can
1: celebrate. Yes.
0: Finally in person again. (laughs) It's funny so I started as chair in Orlando four years ago and you haven't been (laughs) and haven't no so we did Salt Lake City the next year like that's when I that's when I was officially whatever my first was at Salt Lake the next year and then COVID has taken the last two years which we haven't done I said we didn't jack we were supposed to go to Dallas and like everything just got kind of this big mishmash of weirdness and I like okay now we're back to normal this is my last year
1: I know I'm kind of I I would be too. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I asked for another year and I never heard a response. So that's my answer, I guess. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) It's okay. I can use a break. It's fine. But so where can, um, where can people find you if they want to know more about Francesca Leo and playing without pain?
1: Yeah. So you can visit my website, um, playingwithoutpain.com that houses all of my um, research findings. Um, my, presentation recordings other people's presentation recordings um Angela's stuff is on there um Jen would love to put your stuff on there so I'll connect with you on that but yeah it's um just kind of a resource database where you can find a bunch of things of professionals in the field. um my website Francesca Leo Flute says a little bit more about me francescaleoflute.com um and then you can follow my Instagram playing without pain friend me on Facebook um, like my Facebook page. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's about it
0: Beautiful. (laughs) Francesca, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a wonderful conversation. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. (laughs) And you guys, please go follow her, find her, like her, follow her. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please give us a like review and subscribe and share with somebody else. Right. And have a great day. All right. Thanks.